I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. You know I've been talking about earned media value for quite some time on this podcast. My friends at Eisenberg have just raised the bar on earned media benchmarks with their social index. Social Index now gives you globally earned media values across a growing list of six geographies for all your KPIs across the top seven social platforms, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Snapchat, TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube. You can now visualize these values for deeper analysis, and they have a look-back window over two years of historical comparisons. Social Index is updated daily. Don't get stuck with old data. Over 1,000 companies have used the social index to understand the ROI of their social campaigns. And if you work with a social agency, you should demand they incorporate earned media values into your reports. Get your earned media value for social content. Visit earnedmediavalues.com slash Allen. Again, that's earnedmediavalues.com slash A-L-A-N. For all of us, it's about predicting where the consumer is going and getting half of it right. One of the things we want to do is create ads that don't suck. Embracing change creates great possibility. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today. Today on the show, I've got Dave Yovano. He's the CEO of Impact. Impact is a company operating in the partnership economy. And today, Dave and I discuss what that is, as well as kind of where they fit in this broader MarTech, ad tech landscape. We talk a little bit about partnerships and the types of partnerships that are out there that are being used as successful, like uh, one between Ticketmaster and Spotify, as well as others by BarkBox and uh, Pet Shelters. So large discussion here about all the different types of partnerships and how they can actually drive revenue for all types of companies. Potentially, it's an underutilized lever, if you will, especially by marketers. It tends to be run by a business development function. And uh, through the discussion today with Dave, I kind of opened my eyes to maybe we're we're missing something on our, our radar that we should be looking at, these trusted referral networks, if you will. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with Dave. Dave, would you mind introducing yourself? My name is Dave Yovano. I'm the CEO of Impact. Well, Dave, welcome to the show. Thank you, Alan. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Well, uh, let's get started. We got a lot to talk about, um, but I always like to 
know a little bit about where people started in life and where you started your career. I know you've got uh, a Navy stint uh, working for a hospital system and a health care background, mm-hmm. and now you're in uh, technology and marketing technology. That's right. Yeah, I can just give you a, a quick, the quick background. Um, I was in technology project management with a hospital healthcare system, in Southern California, right out of college. I was pre-internet. That was the mid '90s. I graduated college and started uh, some IT project management work. And they called me. The Navy called me up uh, after college and uh, asked me to serve some active duty time. It was an odd time with the military back then. They were downsizing from Desert Shield, Desert Storm, so they kind of didn't know if they really needed you, if they wanted you. So they kind of let me graduate college and then called me up, served just a a short tour uh, as a lieutenant and chief information officer for a a naval hospital, actually, uh, in Bremerton in the Seattle area. You know, and then the internet really just started to kind of take off, obviously, in the late 90s. Um, The first company I joined uh, in the internet tech space was uh, a company by the name of ValueClick. Uh, they later rebranded to Conversant. So I joined them uh, in 99, just before they went public, helped build up their media and tech business over the course of almost nine years initially. I think we were 20 or so million uh, in revenue, um, just about to go public when I joined. Um, you know, really helped lead a number of initiatives and teams. I was the uh, chief operating officer ultimately for the media businesses. We had um, driven it up to like 700 or so million in revenue, over a thousand people in that part of the business. And I think it was uh, 2008, the housing market, so the other macroeconomic uh, factors were coming into play. So the economy kind of crashed a little bit, put a lot of pressure on big public companies. And it was at such a pivotal time in the ad tech, martech space, because it was, uh, you know, we were kind of developing plans for what became the DSPs and the DMPs. And there was just not a whole lot of appetite for R&D investment like that in a big, big public company going through a rough macroeconomic conditions. So I went back to the startup sort of space. I joined a company called Gigia, social technology space. I helped them pivot from an ad model to a SaaS model. I had a lot of fun with that for a few years and then actually returned to Conversant uh, once the market picked back up. They were ready to deploy a war chest, more M&A. So I, I joined to kind of help acquire a few more companies, finally integrate a lot of the technologies uh, we ultimately got a deal on the table with Alliance Data Systems. Uh, they acquired uh, Conversant. And then right at that time, an opportunity uh, to run Marin Software uh, came up. I'm, I'm kind of a glutton for punishment. I love difficult tasks. They were burning a lot of cash, needed a whole technology rewrite. So uh, got them uh, you know, kind of on the right path. Um, I made a personal decision that my oldest daughter was commuting and traveling a lot. I was actually commuting full-time from L.A. to San Francisco for eight years. And my daughter was about to graduate high school and said, um, I think I need to spend a little bit more time at home. So pulled back to L.A. full-time, reconnected with uh, the founders at, at Impact, who I uh, coincidentally uh, had a chance to meet about uh, 16 years ago when Conversant acquired their first company, Commission Junction. And just reconnected with the team there, fell in love with what Impact was up to. It seemed like a good fit for what they needed, just in terms of more organizational expertise and ability to kind of scale what they had started. So I've been having a lot of fun with the Impact team for the last uh, two plus years now. Well, Dave, you spent a number of years in 
ad tech and martech already and you know going back and forth from a couple of different companies but i'm just curious what what are your thoughts on this current state of the industry there's a, a lot of technology out there it seems like there's increasing uh, you know there's regulatory on the horizon uh, um, and things like gdpr just curious if if any of that what what's your view as somebody that's kind of been an insider what, what's the view of the industry today uh, i would say that the traditional uh, ad tech martech space is, is definitely challenged today relative to let's say 10 years ago uh, you know i think the, you know the ad network models and whatnot those were kind of at their height probably in the 2005 2006 time frame I'd just maybe make a couple points about my observation on the industry today. I'd say trust is still missing across the board. You know, there's issues still around fraud and transparency. I think it's amazing to me that brands still don't know exactly what's going on uh, within their campaigns. They don't have access to all of the tracking and intelligence data that they need to understand whether or not their marketing events, their their impressions or clicks are actually driving incremental results. Um, and so, and then when you see the emerging spaces, CTV, OTT, fraud is even more of an issue kind of in these more emerging channels. So, you know, I think just, just trust, I would just kind of put that in one category across mm -hmm. the board, um, you know, is, is getting harder. Uh, I think the, the bad actors, the people that are causing fraud have gotten very sophisticated. It's kind of hard to tell whether or not you're placing ads or buying media from um, something that's real. Um, there's big, big, big money in, in advertising. So um, people have found ways right. to um, you know, take advantage of that, essentially. Uh, I'd say another observation is consolidation is is accelerating. All the new right. money is going to two companies, Facebook, Google. So it's like 90% of all mobile advertising is, is with that duopoly now. I think Amazon is starting to come on the scene, um, but it's still a Facebook, Google world. You have more and more concentration. You know, that's where, the, um, that's where people are spending their time on the Google, Facebook products. I think both those companies have done a great job in building up their own tech stacks and how they're using data. And, but, but, but they're not... Back to my first point, being very transparent, I think, with, with uh, measurement and uh, how things are being targeted. You're just kind of trusting them. And, you know, again, that goes back to my first point where trust is missing because they're, they're really not transparent with it. So that consolidation that's happening is, is making it difficult, I think, for the broader ad tech, martech landscape where, you know, there right. used to be thousands and thousands of people involved. And you've got a lot of consolidation on, on just a few. And I think... You know, just, just the effective use of holistic customer data is, you know, especially for ad targeting, it's, it's gotten more challenging. You know, it's everything having to do with GDPR and what you can and can't track. And uh, iOS and Safari have their own uh, tracking challenges. You know, there's been a, a huge rise of like third-party data and data has just has grown to be just very noisy, I think, over the last number of years. It's like I've, I still see... Uh, for people who are still using cookies to target that way, I'm still seeing in my browser, I'm identified as both a male and a female. Uh, and so there's just a lot of noise. Uh, and I think the regulation type tactics that have happened have made that even more difficult. But just, just overall, I think effectiveness of traditional ad tech, more tech is, is declining. Um, we're still seeing too many ads per day. It's like, you know, they're just trying to lower the rate and just show more of them and hopefully some of them cut through and we can track it and try to attribute it back to 
you know, somebody that bought or sold an ad. But yeah, it's not it's not a fun place to be. Loved helping to build that part of the industry, you know, a number of years ago, but it's definitely gotten more challenging. Got it. Well, now Impact, you guys are a player in, I think, what you referred to as the partnership economy. So maybe tell us a little bit about what that is and how that's, where do you place it? Because it's not, you know, it's not sales automation. It's not, I don't think it's necessarily marketing automation in the traditional sense. So maybe describe the partnership economy and, and kind of where you guys sit. Yeah, I think when we talk about the partnership economy, I think it really starts with embracing a vision that there's this untapped growth potential in forming alliances and partnerships with businesses, individuals who have this existing trusted relationship with a customer that you want to acquire, essentially. And what you're doing is you're forming an alliance with that business or individual that essentially results in them referring a customer to you. So this is not traditional sales or marketing tactics. And that's why we kind of call it out as its own category or its own economy that's, that's essentially evolving. And I think what's interesting in, in this new world is that the customer experience tends to be more authentic and native. So, that, so again, it's not, it's not a traditional sales or marketing tactic. So for example, Ticketmaster uses the impact platform to contract directly with Spotify as a partner. And in the Spotify experience, a person is listening to an artist and they can tap and see that artist's concert tour. They can tap on an event and it's impacts technology that will then enable a deep link from the, the uh, Spotify app to the Ticketmaster app. And if that person buys a ticket, impacts platform is going to attribute credit uh, for that sale, of that ticket back to Spotify as the partner. And then impact will also fulfill a commission payment from a Ticketmaster to Spotify. So this is an example of a software integration partnership. And you can see the native and enhanced experience for the person, but that kind of alliance or partnership that just makes sense. And Ticketmaster has other business development partnerships with companies like American Express, where you can use your Amex points to buy tickets. They've got partnerships with YouTube and other companies like that. So this is not your traditional sales or marketing sort of practice. And we're seeing all kinds of emerging partnerships happening on the impact platform. We're seeing strategic business partner, business development partnerships, like I just mentioned. We've got corporate social responsibility, charity partnerships, uh, mobile apps. Influencers are a big one. I think influencers almost on their own has kind of caused this um, rise to kind of get away from traditional advertising and partner with somebody who uh, could be an advocate for your brand and, and get them on your team and get them to refer customers to buy your products. We're seeing uh, premium publishers just organically sign on to the impact platform. This is uh, the you know, Meredith group of uh, you know, known publisher brands, Hearst, et cetera. They're, they're signing in and they're exploring partnerships on our platform that they can work with directly and innovate more native ways to um, refer customers to, uh, to those types of businesses. So you can, you can just see like in this one example that partnerships are more like business development, really, in my mind. It's, it's less like traditional sales and marketing channels and more like business development. And I think the, way, the reason why we're elevating this to, hey, this really needs to be treated as its own category for growth for the enterprise is that that's what's happening on our platform today. Our most mature clients are relying on partnerships to drive more than 25% of their total revenue mix. 
And as a channel, it's growing like 50 plus percent. We had Lenovo on stage at our last customer event last year talking about those exact stats and talking about their unboxers on YouTube, uh, you know, talking about the Lenovo products and uh, referring them to Lenovo for a sale. And just to kind of give you a sense of the scale on the impact platform, just so you understand, I mean, we're managing about 25 billion a year in e-commerce sales on the impact platform. And we also manage payouts to, um, to our clients' partners on their behalf. And we're, we're paying out more than a billion a year to, uh, to their partners. Wow. That's a lot of, that's a lot of transaction volume. Mm -hmm. Well, there's a tons of partnerships. You mentioned a, a lot of different ones there. Um, how, you know, how are you advising or, or thinking about, you know, your customers and, and how, do, how should they get the most out of those partnerships? Like what are the top things in your mind? Uh, you know, I think it, it starts with embracing a bigger vision around partnerships. I think digitally partnerships started in traditional affiliate and I define that as like the cashback coupon email type partners, but it's expanded well beyond that to include the ones I mentioned, influencers, traditional publishers, these business development deals, software integrations, the, the you know, social responsibility sort of partnerships, ambassadors, there's all these different types. And the reality of it is that these partnerships kind of exist already. They've existed for a long time, typically inside different organizations, but they're in siloed, fragmented teams or groups, right? There's a couple, couple guys over here doing business development. And, um, you know, maybe the influencer team is you know, different from a traditional affiliate team or uh, someone's got some, some deal working with some software integration. I think it really starts with leaders of an organization to realize that they need to kind of manage partnerships in the same way that they're managing the uh, their sales and, and marketing channels and teams. So I, I look at three things, people, process, and technology, right? Just to make a simple example. So when you think about sales people, right? Most organizations have a sizable yeah. sales organization. There's a head of sales. And then from a process standpoint, uh, they're broken out by territory, maybe vertical assignment. Uh, they've got uh, quotas, they've got goals, they've got pipeline management, they've got an aggressive push to the end of a quarter. Do you, you manage your partnerships in, in, team in that same way? Probably not. And you look at marketing, uh, most organizations have a head of marketing, a CMO. They've got a marketing team. They're from a process standpoint, they're running nowadays account-based marketing and selling campaigns, demand gen uh, campaigns. They're doing events. Uh, they're tied to metrics that fill top of funnel, you know, typically for the sales organization. Again, do you manage your partnerships team in that same way? And then when you look at the, the technology component of all these things, technology for sales um, has provided a lot of automation. A lot of companies use Salesforce. We use Salesforce for um, Salesforce automation. And that helps us manage everything and scale everything. Uh, same thing with uh, marketing, right? Most marketing organizations are using a number of marketing automation technologies, whether it's Marketo or HubSpot or Engageo, uh, Visible, others. What exists there to help scale and automate partnerships? And, and that's the gap that we feel, uh, we feel that impact is largely uh, filling essentially uh, with our partnership cloud. Uh, we're, we're providing partnership automation to the most mature enterprises who are embracing this opportunity around partnerships as we see it, meaning, you know, getting all your partnership opportunities together, 
onto a single platform and rely on this platform to help you contract directly with these partners globally. Uh, our, so our platform is working in local languages. We're paying out in over 80 local currencies. Uh, it serves as a system of record for the tracking and attribution back to the partner and what their attributed value is so that you're commissioning effectively uh, based on what's generating incremental and real results for your business. Uh, we also um, fulfill the payment processing to partners, again, globally. And then we've added additional components. We've acquired a number of businesses over the years. We acquired uh, Media Rails most recently, about six months ago, and that it's an application that helps our clients discover new partners. So it's an incredible discovery engine, like influencers, apps, small businesses. It's got automation on how to recruit them in, you know, similar to like a HubSpot experience. Uh, we've acquired uh, Clear Sailing from eBay when they broke up from uh, PayPal. Uh, that's given us more capabilities around the intelligence and the insights that are required to understand attributed value of partnerships. Uh, and we've acquired Forensic. They've been a market leader for a long time in fraud. And as enterprises start to work with different types of partners, fraud becomes um, a bigger challenge to solve for. Uh, so we've acquired uh, a market leader in, in using machine learning and other AI techniques to really, um, you know, uh, be able to detect what's real and what's not, essentially. So those are uh, examples of how we're um, addressing the automation around partnerships. That's great. That's great. Well, and, you know, one of the things that makes these partnerships go are the incentives, right? The, the actual payments that you talked about earlier. Those can be tricky, as you know. I mean, you, if you manage sales and people in general, um, it's compensation is always a tricky issue. You know, are there any thoughts you can share on, you know, what you've seen work or how you advise, um, you know, new people to the platform and how to think about that or, you know, what you see is the most common today? I don't, I don't know how you want to tackle that, but just curious insights around it. Yeah. I mean, just what I think about is it's a paradigm shift in thinking. I think, we talk about like incentivizing traditional advertising. Everyone's dealing with standard ad formats. It's an effective CPM and they're just trying to get the most yield, but nobody's talking to anybody. You've got 20 people in the middle all trying to optimize something and take a cut. The world of partnerships is a complete paradigm shift. And, and one of the fundamental things that Impact did 10 years ago when it launched our first product, Radius, is that we enabled a direct partnership between the enterprise and the partner. So, so gone are all the middlemen, essentially. There are no intermedi intermediaries or networks that are making decisions for them. And just that one concept, I think, was transformational to uh, how things could be. Uh, I sat across from Lenovo when I first joined the company a couple of years ago. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... 
Alright, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply. If rated PG. Uh, at lunch and uh, the person that runs the partnerships on their side was just um, telling me these stories about how they finally get to work directly with partners and they're coming up with like really innovative ways to, to refer business to Lenovo. Like these, these are, again, it's more native. These aren't like traditional right. ads. And so I would just say that beyond like incentives and optimizing and this, that, and the other, I think just having an open discussion and workshop session with your partner to figure out, Hey, we think our brands align really well. How can we come up with an effective way to get you to refer uh, a customer to me? And so our conversations are like, you know, I was meeting with a uh, financial services company that sells like 401k and other products. And we're talking about what would be good partnerships for them potentially. And they started to talk about, you know, companies in the gig economy, for example, where they don't have a traditional retirement draw on their paycheck. Like that, that kind of partnership makes sense. They want to form an alliance, a partnership where they're finding a, a unique way to get that gig economy sort of company to refer customers essentially to this uh, financial planning um, enterprise. And that's, that's probably the number one thing I would say is that work directly with your partners, create numeration that makes sense, drives value for both parties. And I've been very surprised to see the innovation uh, that has happened just, just in working directly. Got it. Well, you talked about Ticketmaster and Spotify as one example earlier. Are there other examples that you could share around how partnerships are taking place on the platform? Yeah, we have a number of really interesting cases of partnerships that are starting to uh, blossom on the Impact platform. We have a case study with BarkBox, and they, they tell the story of when they uh, first signed with Impact, it was traditional affiliate, the cashback coupon, email type partners. And as they learned and embraced our broader vision around partnerships, they started to extend their partnership remit to include some innovative partnerships, for example, pet shelters. So BarkBox has had an inside business development team that has been calling on thousands of pet shelters across the U.S., um, basically saying, we'd like to donate to your pet shelter. We'll mail you a, a box of postcards, just hand them out to new pet owners. And if we sign a new customer from, from your referral, we'll, we'll donate $25 to your pet shelter. They've extended that strategy to veterinarian clinics, to dog walkers. We have mattress companies that are selling direct to consumer who are getting chiropractors to refer them uh, mattress sales. There's a hospitality, a large hospitality uh, marketplace company that will have a placard on the coffee table when you're staying as a, as a guest at the host's house and says you're sleeping on uh, this kind of mattress. If you, uh, if you like it, use this code and get a discount. And so the host is earning a commission on referring mattress sales when somebody stays at their um, at their place. I mean, we have so many interesting examples <laughs> like that that are just kind of happening organically on the platform. And, and we're also seeing the traditional business development partnerships that have been operated in a different group. Like we've got large travel companies that partner with each other. So one is a hospital state, hospitality state company that will partner with an airline. And they've, they've had a couple of people that have had a biz dev deal in place for years, but 
they're starting to move the contracting, the tracking, the understanding of value of these partnerships to the impact platform. And so we're seeing some consolidation of, of all these different partner types uh, kind of come onto our platform. So we've seen, you know, Airbnb and Delta, for example, partner up that way. Airbnb and Qantas have partnered up that way. Uh, it's just very uh, interesting innovation happening along those lines. Yeah, no, that's that's fan- those are great examples and and things you think about naturally happen, but to your point about like managing that can be a nightmare if mm-hmm. you don't have the technology and the processes sure. to to do it. Sure, we have a large, um, especially at scale. Yeah, and another good example to, to so that you understand like the the native experience or improving the customer experience. We have a very large. A consumer tech uh, company, global tech company that's partnered with banks internationally. And so if you're a banking customer, you're signing in to pay your bills or check your account balance, and the bank will say, thank you for being a loyal customer. We have a partnership with this consumer tech company. Uh, go through the shopping experience and you're going to get a discount. Thank you for being a customer. Uh, that, that's just kind of another another good example. Yeah, no, that's great. Those are great. Well, I appreciate you talking to me about impact and the partnership you know, economy and, and how people can drive more revenue through that. I love to get to know the individual even a little bit better um, on these interviews. And um, I, this question I love asking people is, is there an experience in your past that defines or makes up who you are today? A specific experience? Um, yeah, it could be a, it could be a specific experience or it could be, you know, a trend of experiences or something. I would just say that I'm, I grew up in the Midwest, uh, working yeah, class yeah. family, um, had a job as far as I can remember back, you know, paper route all the way through to, um, you know, as a waiter for the longest time, both in high school and college. I'd say that probably the single interesting characteristic about just how I came up is just, is just hardworking. I think I learned that from my parents. Maybe it was growing up in Cleveland, Ohio, but it's also, you know, part of that, that God fearing Catholic religion, you know, you're respecting uh, authority and all that stuff. So I don't know um, if, if that's common or not, but I just always remember just working very hard uh, and, and not feeling like proud or good about myself unless I was working hard, earning money, not because I was trying to buy something. I just felt like that was something I needed to do. And then from there, graduating high school and into the military, I think that was a tremendous influence on my professional life even today. Again, it was kind of like phase two of that discipline of, of hard work, attention to detail, how or, large organizations and structure works. And again, maybe less God-fearing there, but you're authority-fearing. Uh, it was kind of the experience, I guess, in, in the military. So just kind of respect for you know structure and authority, if you will. And, and uh, one of the things I really loved about the military experience was just all different types of people. It was amazing. It was right out of high school. I went to boot camp in San Diego and, you know, you're with a company of a hundred people. It's everybody from, from every walk of life. And I'll never forget my first morning. Uh, you know, they wake you up and, you know, they, they ran through a couple of questions and, and about, 10 of us ultimately wound up stepping forward and they handed me a sword and they said, you're in charge. And so I was the recruit chief petty officer for two months. And it was my job to make sure everybody, you know, got to where they needed to be on time. And you're dealing with uh, personnel issues, people who wanted to commit suicide. 
And so you grow up like very quick in environments like that and know how to deal with that complex uh, situation. So, you know, I wouldn't trade that experience for anything. Um, and then into college, you know, they put you through the officer training program. You start to learn more techniques about leadership. And then when I was a lieutenant, 20 something years old, early 20s, and I'm now leading a team of 30 people who are 20 years experience in the military. Uh, it's like, like, how's that work? Because <laughs> I have a college education. All of a sudden, I'm the boss. Right. And so you, you just learn pretty quickly, but you know, you develop a deep sense of what uh, motivates people, what upsets people, how to connect people. And of course, being a parent teaches you a lot of those same things, how to deal with uh, the, a lot of those same challenges, but from a different perspective. So I think you know, the military overall had a tremendous influence on my life. And then just you know, maybe finally just competitive sports. I, I look for this when I'm hiring people as well. I played football uh, growing up uh, all through high school and college. I played flag football. My college didn't have an official football team, but if they did, I probably would have. Uh, in other sports, I love ocean sports um, nowadays, especially on the weekend. So I stay very, very active. Uh, but I like the competitive sense of things. There's a scoreboard. You're in the foxhole with your teammates and you know you've got the the competitive sport in action, but then you've got the fun that happens afterwards, whether, whether you're winning or losing, uh, it's the camaraderie. I think that that probably drives me most in pretty much everything that I do. Um, but it's, but it's all built on accomplishing something. Got it. Well, that, that military path that you described, it, it sounded like you enlisted after high school and then mm -hmm. went back to college mm -hmm. and came out as an officer. Mm -hmm. That's a unique path. I haven't heard very often. Did that give you more insight into coming out from college and being an officer? Did it, it sounded in your description, it sounded like you had a sense of humility that you might not have had if you hadn't started as an enlisted person. Yeah, absolutely. It was a, um, it's a very special program. It's called Boost was the program that I went through. It's called, stands for Broaden Opportunity for Officer Selection and Training. And it's actually a program. I was just trying to find any way I could to, to fund a scholarship to college. And somehow I came across this program. And it's actually a program that's designed for minorities. I was the token white minority in this program. Everybody else was from a very different ethnic background. A lot of inner city children that didn't have the same opportunities that a lot of most people have. The, the military kind of provides a prep path for them to get to college, essentially. Uh, is, it was definitely a unique path for uh, for anyone. But the deal was you had to enlist for a year boot camp. You're enlisted for a year. And if you made it through this program, then you got your ROTC scholarship to college. Um, not, not many people know about that program. I didn't I didn't enlist just blindly right out of high school. And then and then college just kind of happened. It was I actually enlisted for that special program. OK, gotcha. Gotcha. That's a that's a great program. I've never mm -hmm. heard of it before. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, if you were if you were starting all over, maybe career wise all over again, what advice would you give to your younger self? <laughs> uh, probably I work too much and, you know, just balancing more time with family would probably be the number one thing. I'm very lucky in that my family is a very strong, independent family, especially my wife. She doesn't need me to be home coddling her. Like she's a very strong, independent woman herself. She has a PhD in physical therapy. So she works, you know, raise the kids with uh, that expectation that you work hard. That's just what, what you do. But Having said all that, definitely, um, I could I could have made a little bit more time. I think in in the past uh, for family, maybe I didn't have to work so much. I mean, it's I enjoy it. I enjoy 
like mm-hmm. I said, uh, the respect amongst my peers that, hey, I'm working, my body, we're here working together. If we if uh, we have a good outcome with something as project or what have you, you know, well, I, that's what drives me is that mutual respect that, hey, you know, Dave was, was putting in his all to get a good outcome here. Like, you know, I don't know what it is about that, that camaraderie. Uh, amongst your peers that that drives a lot of people at least that's what drives me i think better balance with with family would would be one thing right right well my next question i think you've already answered this a couple times which is what drives you sounds like camaraderie is a source of energy for you is that would you say that's true respect yeah definitely respect for my colleagues you know just letting the just me knowing that nobody has to say anything but just knowing that I can sense some respect or that they know that I played uh, an important role in accomplishing something. I also like lifting others up too. So um, would love to make more time for that. Uh, But I love kind of connecting with somebody that looks like my younger self, who's got a lot of drive, who's working very hard and invest just a little bit of time to inspire them. I mean, I remember a college professor uh, who told me, Dave, you know, you're a great speaker. I could see you as like a, uh, leading a product team, you know, Procter and Gamble. It's like just that one comment lifted me up so much to want to, uh, start to think about my career and, and give me the confidence that, Oh, shoot, I didn't realize that I was good at that and just keep you know, putting more, uh, more into that. So I'm, I'm trying to be mindful of, of, uh, how to develop others. I think that's, um, super important. Got it, got it. Well, I got two more questions for you, a little bit more marketing mm-hmm. focused. <clears throat> People tend to watch other companies or brands in the marketplace. I'm curious if there's any that stand out to you that you track or you're, you're, you're interested or intrigued by what they're doing. Um, maybe two. So Patagonia uh, is based in Ventura where I live. They're kind of renowned for you know, being a mission-based company, they're very committed to, you know, just sustainable earth. Uh, and I just love how that is. So, I mean, they're a very successful company and they've got amazing products. Uh, they get thousands of people that apply for a job every week at Patagonia. It's just an amazing culture. I think they're, you know, just very values driven. I just love how they can be so values driven and be such such a successful company. Uh, and they could be even more successful maybe if they uh, were more aggressive, but they kind of hold that line and let their let their mission kind of drive them as a company. So I think philosophically, um, really, really respect them. There's a great book I've read by their CEO, Yvonne Chenard, called Let My People Go Surfing. It talk, talks a lot about culture within a company like that. And if you really embrace people and get them centered around a mission you don't need to micromanage and you know check what time people come in and what time they leave like it it really helps you build something great i think that's incredibly inspiring you know maybe another company would be uh, booking.com just a little bit more tech-based i don't know how many people kind of understand what has happened at a company like that so they entered the market against the likes of expedia and others with kind of a disruptive model, kind of a lower take rate. Um, but I just think that they're, how they go about building their business and growth is, is really all about the things that we believe in around partnerships from what I've seen. You know, they've, um, 
you know, yes, they've got their TV commercials that are amazing that people remember, but I think really what drives that business is partnerships. Mm. And uh, it's hundreds of people that are all doing business development. And uh, it's not it's not your typical you know, sales and marketing techniques to, to drive uh, sales on booking. So, um, you know, those are kind of two, two companies I can think of right away. Yeah, those are great examples. Um, and the last question for you, where do you think the future of marketing is going? Yeah, when I think about the 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 crisis that typical sales and marketing are under, um, I think most people would agree that you know people don't trust salespeople uh, and they don't trust advertising. You, I think Ipsos had done some research; like eighty-two percent of people do not trust salespeople, and it's like eighty-four percent of millennials don't trust advertising. That's the next big buying generation. And so what does that mean? Like when somebody calls me to sell me something, I hang up on them. Like the calls aren't getting through, emails aren't getting through, people aren't responding to salespeople. People ask you if you need help at a store, it's like they're offended. Like, no, I need help. And so, and then advertising, I think is is challenged. I think people just don't trust, they they don't like being sold to. They can can sense it right away. Uh, And then if you match that with the other trends around, you know, Google and Facebook kind of capturing all the new money. I think the biggest challenge there is is all consumer time or a lot of consumer time is going to mobile. Mm-hmm. And that's a four and a half inch screen. And most of the time spent on that four and a half screen <clears throat> is in a social feed, not looking at ads. Right. And so <clears throat> you got some real challenges there for um for for marketing. And so, you know, so I think there's gonna be a heavy reliance on partnerships, but specifically influencers, right? So influencer marketing is on the rise. These are people who have an audience, they're an expert in something, and they're going to give their advice, essentially. They're going to suggest that you should check this out or buy this. And people are going to trust that more than an ad. So, um, and you've got your educate, you know, your top 1%. I'm not talking about the Kylie Jenner's and the, uh, and that type you right. know, so much where it's, you know, you're paying a million dollars for a post, you know, there's, there's a mid to long tail market. That's that's very big once you aggregate that up. I also think back to my Patagonia example that like cause-based marketing and brands are are going to connect better with customers. So as much as I'm talking about Patagonia, you've got brands like Tom's and I just <laughs> on the, uh, you know, where they donate for every pair of shoes that you right. buy, they donate a pair of shoes. I just heard on the radio the other day, this direct-to-consumer sock company, I can't remember the name of it, but it was a phenomenal ad, but basically uh, it's the same thing. Every, every stock. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's it. That's yeah. exactly it. Yeah. I think that's fascinating, right? And that's, that's, people are going to buy those socks before they buy kind of the standard IZOD stock socks at Macy's that they've been buying for 20 years, just because that company is more cause driven. And that's what I think people are connecting to today. Mm-hmm. And beyond that, I think people, just want a more personalized experience, right? And it's forcing marketers to kind of think, you know, beyond traditional advertising if, if they tend to engage them and, and reach them uh, as a modern consumer. And then marketers, I think, are still demanding trust. They really want trust. They're demanding transparency about what's working and what's not. That that still needs to be solved for. <laughs> Um, maybe the wall gardens can can help with that. Our technology, by the way, has gotten very good at integrations with the wall gardens to um, to bring those data points in and provide the transparency and the, the, the holistic measurement that they're after. Hmm. But you know, all in all, I think you're going to see uh, new new partnerships really 
start to emerge. Um, we're seeing it on our platform. It's a real trend. It, it deserves to be broken out as its own category of focus, uh, especially for senior leaders at an organization, because it is really starting to move the needle for business. And uh, we're excited to uh, to be powering that uh, that trend. That's great. That's great. Well, Dave, I've enjoyed the conversation. So thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you. Really enjoyed it. Hi, it's Alan again. Marketing Today was created and produced by me with writing and editing by Kevin Greeley, social media support by Megan Woods, art and graphic design by Sarah Dell. If you're new to Marketing Today, please feel free to write us a review on iTunes or your favorite listening platform. Don't forget to subscribe and tell your friends and colleagues about the show. I love to hear from listeners. and You can contact me at marketingtodaypodcast.com. There you'll also find complete show notes with links to anything we talk about on any episode. You can also search our archives. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.